Seymour Riff Rifkin is well known in the pickleball world for doing so much to help grow the game the right way. He started the IPTPA to develop standards for teaching in pickleball and spearheaded the effort to create the World Pickleball Federation to promote the sport across the globe. In this interview, we also talk about Riff's ride across country to raise funds for the Pickleball Hall of Fame. So let's get to the intro to hear more from Riff. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I would like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, Riff. Great to be here. Thanks, Lynn. I'm so excited to have you on today. You have done already so much for the sport of pickleball. And before we get into those many, many things that you've already accomplished, I do always like to start with somebody's origin story when it comes to pickleball. So when did you get started? How long ago? And, you know, how did you get introduced to the game? So I've heard about pickleball for about 20, 25 years because I have a a number of colleagues that retired to the villages back in in the uh, 90s. And, and early 2000s. And they're good friends of mine. They know I've always been very active and I played tennis for about 30 years. So they've kept telling me about this sport, but you know, I've always been so darn busy taking on something new or getting introduced to something just wasn't in, in the cards. But I retired in 2005. And then in 2014, one of the things that I was doing in retirement is I'm a big Bears fan. I uh, had season tickets, you know, for, for, for over 30 years. And so I thought that it would be kind of cool to visit every sports city that, you know, has a football team and watch a game there when they play the Bears. So that was going to be like an eight-year deal because obviously, you know, schedules change all the time. So I was doing that and, you know, bringing my wife or my kids, you know, for like two, three-day weekends and just having fun with it. And I was out in North Carolina watching the Panthers. And the very next weekend, I was going to be going to Atlanta. So rather than coming back to Chicago, I finally submitted and, and went to see a bunch of my friends that live in the villages. And I played golf and, you know, played some tennis. And then finally, after three or four days, he said, OK, we got to go down to the pickleball courts. I said, OK. So I was down on the pickleball courts and like so many people, five, 10 minutes on the court and I was hooked. And all the plans that I had about retirement and things that we were going to do turned upside down. And like so many, you know, I got addicted to the game and initially just was playing every single day, wanting to, you know, fuel my competitive juices. But then, you know, as I saw things were being needed to get done and, you know, they weren't being done and others that were in position to to do that didn't really see the value of it. I started to, you know, say, okay, you know, if, if not me, then who? And, you know, started some more, some of these organizations that you mentioned. So yeah, it was early 2014, 15. And, and then soon after, when I came back to Chicago, I was looking for places to play and there really wasn't much here. I think there was one park district. So I started the first pickleball program at a tennis club in the country, according to Doug Cash. Doug is the past CEO of Tennis Corps of America that owned, I think, 16 or 1700 tennis clubs across the country. And he retired around the same time I retired. And and since then, he had had opened up a consulting business whose main responsibility was trying to help tennis clubs across the country become more profitable. So he was aware of pickleball well before, you know, I got exposed to it. 
but he never could find anybody that had done anything in in a tennis community until my name popped up. And, you know, once we started chatting, we became pretty close. And, you know, I've done a number of uh, speaking engagements at tennis different functions across the country and their annual event and things like that. So that's kind of my intro to, to, to pickleball. Like many, you know, the villages as has been a, a springboard because a it, it it it's I don't know how many people they have there, there now maybe 125 130 thousand people and 220 courts so uh, a lot of people have been introduced to pickleball at the villages. I love what you had to say about pickleball. You know, years back, you know, you were one of the first people to introduce it into tennis facilities. I started playing pickleball in 2018 and. Even at that time, most of the tennis centers in Connecticut had pickleball. So it sounds like it spread really fast into the tennis centers. Well, as I reflect back, it it did, you know, from 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 a time continuum. But I got to tell you, the very first few years, it was difficult. The tennis community was 100 percent opposed to to pickleball. They viewed it as a threat. They didn't that they 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 put in rules to squash pickleball. But, you know, the one thing that I think, you know, astute business people understand is that you you can't really fight the marketplace. And, you know, pickleball had been growing very quickly. The members were asking for it. A lot of the coaches, tennis teaching pros saw that there was an opportunity for them to supplement their income. So, you know, between, you know, players and members and their own staff talking to ownership saying, hey, you know, why can't we, you know, have pickleball? You know, I think they relented based on pressure. Now, you know, obviously there were those that were ahead of the curve, early adopters that saw the opportunity and they jumped in. But, you know, today, you know, just, just, you know, four or five years later, you know, if, if, if you're not taking a look at, you know, your new business plan and, and recognizing that not just pickleball, but, you know, all racket sports have so many similarities. They're all like, you know, cousins to each other. It's so much easier to, to create a more successful club if you expand your, your services and you don't give up real estate. And what I mean by real estate is your tennis courts, because for, for 25 years, as tennis has begun to go on, on the downswing, you know, in, 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 let's say, you know, 2000, you know, till now, the quite often what, what you saw was tennis clubs taking out a tennis court and putting in fitness facilities or, you know, Taekwondo and martial arts. And, you know, you've got to spend a lot more money. You've got to bring in additional staff. All of that becomes, you know, a huge expense as opposed to putting in blended lines, which cost a few hundred dollars and getting your own, you know, staff members certified in pickleball. So I think, you know, over the last few years, you know, there's been a 180 degree turn and now you see a lot of tennis clubs, you know, resorts, golf communities, all embracing pickleball because it just makes business sense and because there's demand. So it was. It, it, it seems like it was overnight, but it was painful because uh, I was in a lot of those initial meetings, you know, with USTA, with USPTA, the tennis organizations, and then obviously, you know, w- 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 developing programs within pickleball. So. One of the other things I wanted to talk with you today about is the Pickleball Hall of Fame. I mean, if you think about it, Pickleball has just really become popular in recent years, but the game was invented quite a while ago. Tell me about, you know, why you started the Pickleball Hall of Fame, you know, a little bit about your fundraising endeavors recently going cross country on your bike. So, um, 
you know, when I started IPTPA back in, in 2015, 16, and I was really kind of all focused on, on the, the teaching organization. But along the way, you know, I got really, really close and became very good friends with Steve Peranto. And Steve Peranto is, I think, the, you know, has been is the oldest uh, and longest 5.0 player in the country. He, he got exposed to, to pickleball, you know, back in, in, in the 70s and, and active in the 80s. So he's he knows everybody. He, he's, you know, like an encyclopedia of, of, of pickleball. And, and as we became closer, I, I started to learn more about the history, as you said, and the people that, you know, were, were such huge influencers to the game. And just around nationals in 2016, Wayne Dollar, the publisher of Pickleball Magazine, came up and, and we had a, a meeting between uh, myself, Steve Peranto, Justin Maloof, and Wayne. And he simply said, you know, I've been involved with a Paddle and, 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 and the Hall of Fame there. Don't you think we should have a, a pickleball hall of fame? And Steve immediately jumps up and said, "Yeah, we've been talking about it for you know 15 years. There's been at least a dozen attempts uh, by different people who have approached USPTA, excuse me, USAPA about it. And you know, it was always the same story. It's not a priority. So this time, you know, Steve chimed in, I chimed in, Wayne chimed in, all saying, "Yeah, let's do it." And Justin said, "Let me take it to the board." So he took it to the board. I was involved doing the World Congress at the U.S. Open in April, our first IPTPA huge event. So I was pretty busy between growing the organization and preparing for this, you know, World Congress. But right at the World Congress, when it was completed, you know, I went up to Wayne and, and I said, so what, what's going on with the Pickleball Hall of Fame? And he simply said, Justin and the, and the board said that it wasn't a priority. And, you know, at that time, because I was you know, completed, you know, my main focus, which was that World Congress. And, and during the, the four or five months between nationals and U.S. Open, you know, I began to, to ask questions and talk about some of the uh, key people, the inventors of the game, you know, who invented the first composite paddle. I mean, you know, Sid Williams, the, the guy that uh, ran USAPA, the very first USAPA for, for nine or 10 years. And I recognized, wow, you know, a bunch of these people, they're already in their late 80s. I said to myself, you know, not only do we need a pickleball hall of fame, but we have to do it now. So I talked to Wayne and, and I said, look, Wayne, I said, this was your idea. I would never do anything without your consent and blessing. I said, but you know, I think we need a pickleball hall of fame. And not only do we need it, we need it now before we already have lost, you know, two of the three inventors of the game. And it would just be a shame if, if all these people that were the, you know, main influencers that brought joy and love to, to, to the sport, to myself and so many other people, it ends up being a memorial rather than an opportunity to really honor and, and enshrine them. And so, you know, Wayne said, look, I've got my magazine. I'm, I'm just, you know, totally immersed in that. I don't have time rift, but, you know, if you want to do it, go do it. You know, you got 100% of my support. So, you know, as soon as he told me that, that became, you know, kind of my, like my mission. And actually at the open itself, back at that time, I reached out to, you know, a number of, of influencers in the pickleball community, put together an organizing committee. And, you know, between April and June, you know, I and my organizing committee organized and put together, you know, all of the criteria, the two different nominating committees, a nominating committee, a selection committee. We formed a 501c3 corporation, non-for-profit. Right from the beginning, it was meant to be an independent 
not-for-profit organization that would honor and 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 bestow the type of of prestige that influencers and best players around the world would be able to to be honored in, in, in a pickleball hall of fame. And so that's how it started. It it, it really started and and the first induction ceremony was, you know, four or five months later at the USA Nationals, USAPA Nationals in 2017. So we're moving into our uh, fifth year in 2022. And it's just been an absolute honor to, to you know, put this together to, to see, I'll never forget, you know, the, the very first year we had six inductees and every single one of them, you know, at our dinner awards banquet came up on the stage and they were all crying and everybody in the, in, in the stands, you know, at, at the dinner was crying. I mean, it was really touching and emotional. Some of those people, you know, hadn't um, been at a, at, at a big tournament. So they've never, they, they, they saw the way pickleball started and we're active, you know, for maybe 15, 20 years. But as you've already alluded to, you know, it's really over the last, you know, seven, eight years that it's exploded. So it's been around since, you know, 65, but for, you know, really, you could say 45 years at the very least, it, it was pretty much, you know, a, a backyard game that was in the Pacific Northwest. And it wasn't until many of those became baby, you know, those baby boomers became of age and started to retire to, you know, the Sunshine Belt, you know, Florida, California, Arizona, that it started to take off. So it was just so emotional and, and rewarding to, you know, get hugs from, from all of the inductees and for them to say, my God, I never thought this day would ever come. This, you know, this is beyond, you know, my wildest expectations. It's, it's you know, other than maybe the birth of their children, it, it was the greatest day in, in their life. And to see that raw emotion displayed and to know the impact that they've had on on me and 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 you know I can say you know everybody else in this in, in in the stands it was really really touching and 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 you know the event has just gotten bigger and better every single year so you know it's it's just a way to honor the people that really need to be honored and and it's a great thing of giving and now you've got a physical location planned for the hall of fame don't you yeah you know one of the things that, you know, I did from the very beginning is I wanted to have a place where people could actually do a feely touchy. You know, I know that, you know, having digital space is kind of the rage with a lot of pickleball, not not just pickleball, but a lot of sports hall of fames and other hall of fames. And I think that's great. Obviously, you can reach a lot more people that way. Uh, it's a lot less money, but there's nothing like, you know, actually being in a physical place where, you know, the paddles, the balls, you know, the autographs, you know, articles are, 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 are seen there and, and being able to, you know, sometimes, you know, have an opportunity to actually get on court and shake hands with the, the people that are, are enshrined there. Because, you know, one of the things that we, we plan on doing is having our Pickleball Hall of Fame championships in conjunction with our museum. And so, you know, from the very beginning, the, the idea of, of a physical, you know, brick and mortar facility was important. And at, at that U.S. Open, when, when the idea of actually doing it and getting the blessing from Wayne was initiated, the very next person I, I went to talk to was Anna Copley from Pickleball Central. And she and I had, had gotten close over a couple of years, I have a lot of respect for management and the team there. And, you know, I expressed to her what, what the plan was. She was on our original organizing committee and they were moving into larger facilities. And she said that, you know, I, I think I've got a, a hallway that can serve as, you know, your 
Pickleball Hall of Fame until you know you feel the 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 time is right to 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 move it someplace else. So right from the beginning, you know, all of our you know year one, year two, year three inductees have been displayed. You know, their plaques, their posters, you know, a, a bunch of artifacts, you know, and historical items were were brought to that facility on loan, and it was great because Pickleball Central you know, had a subsidiary called Pickleball Station. They had four indoor courts. They had a pro shop. And so a lot of people from the Pacific Northwest and Washington area, obviously, because of, you know, the proximity, they were able to see and and experience, you know, the Pickleball Hall of Fame. And, you know, at this point now, two things have, have taken place. Pickleball Central's success has meant that, you know, they, they, they need, that, you know, that space. And then two, you know, we, we're, we're in year five and part of my strate- overall strategic plan was to, was to try to have a, a home for the Pickleball Hall of Fame within the first five years. So a partnership was developed with some folks down in Austin, led by Tim Klitsch at, at the Pickleball Ranch. He's building a, you know, a beautiful 33-court facility, planning on having tournaments there, you know, every other week, along with, you know, a membership base of, of players. And he'll, he's got a, you know, music uh, venue there with, with, with a stage. So one of the things that was very important to me was that there'd be enough traffic wherever the Pickleball Hall of Fame was going to be so that there would be a influx of players that, you know, would have an opportunity to go through that building and learn about the history of the game, read up on, you know, the important contributors and who some of the greatest players are, have an opportunity to see film and video of, of those and, you know, are the artifacts. And and then, you know, because he's he's planning on having tournaments there all the time, you know, some of those Hall of Famers will be there. So, you know, you'll have an opportunity to shake hands with them and, and, and at least once a year at our annual dinner banquet and uh, Hall of Fame championships, you know, our plan is to have all the Hall of Fames invited and in attendance. And, you know, we're excited about this first year. You know, we've our committee and board have been working on the outline for, for that. And I think it's going to be a great event. It's going to be a unique event. And we're excited uh, about having it. It's actually going to be a Dreamland, which is a neighboring complex just outside of Austin simply because we don't want to take a, a chance with some of the issues that have come up regarding the, the the building of the facility and the timing of it with COVID. You know, the one thing I think we've all learned this past year, anybody that's in sports and, and, and planning to, you know, get involved with tournaments is that you just don't know what's around the corner. There's no sure things yeah, when it comes to COVID. Obviously, with the vaccine, we're all optimistic that things are going to be improving, but, you know, COVID is also on the upswing in a number of states. So I, I guess the, the idea is that we're all cautiously optimistic and rather than take a chance of having the, 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 the tournament at Pickleball Ranch, it may be done, it may not be done. We know that we've got a facility at Dreamland, which is a very exciting venue. Steve Kuhn is, is the owner there. He's one of my board members on the World Pickleball Federation. And you know he'll have 16 covered courts. So there'll be some weather protection. He also has, you know, music and, and a miniature golf course. And there's going to be a, a tremendous party atmosphere over there. And there'll be lots of additional evening activities from music to, to art, to golf, and, and, and some surprises with our inductees as well. So I'm excited about the, the, the museum. I'm excited about the, you know, first annual Pickleball Hall of Fame Championships. And it's going to be a great experience for those that have an opportunity to to attend that event. 
And it's, you know, the week before, the weekend before nationals begin. So it's a great tune-up if you want to come out with your partner and, and get some rec play in and also, you know, participate in, in a one-of-a-kind tournament. And what, what were the dates for that? The dates are October 28th through the 31st, and there's going to be probably a day or two of additional activities regarding clinics and, and interactive type of programs and things like that. It's already been posted on Pickleball Tournaments, so you can sign up. And yeah, I think we've got probably 100 people that have already signed up, and I'm, I'm sure that's going to grow significantly as we the word gets out through you know media mediums just like this one, Lynn, that you're providing. It sounds like a lot of fun, and who knows, I may even join in the fun. I spent 25 years in uh, Dallas, actually just moved to Connecticut three years ago. So, yeah, I love the Austin area. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. The, the Hill Country is, is is quite different than the rest of Texas, it, and it's my understanding that it is now uh, the fastest-growing uh, city in Texas. There's, you know, they're trying to get some new sports team there, and uh, it's exciting. You know, pickleball is just exploding over there. So, you know, it, it's centrally located within the country, so it's they got a great airport. It's easy to get to. So, you know, we, we we're very comfortable and confident about, you know. The, the personnel, the, the people, the enthusiasm, and we know it's going to be a, an incredible, not just tournament, but an incredible event. One of the other things I wanted to talk about is actually related to the fundraiser that I think you just completed a couple of weeks ago. You did a cross-country bike ride. Tell me how you chose that as a fundraiser of all things to do. So like many people during this year of COVID, you know, I went from being on the road 40 to 45 weeks out of the year to being home. And, you know, I've always been a real active uh, athlete. I've, I've competed in a lot of different sports. And 13 years ago, I spent one year training for the Ironman triathlon. So I'd never really been a, a bicyclist. I've never been a swimmer. I've been a runner all my life. But that one year, you know, I put in quite a, a few miles on the bike and, and was very successful. So unfortunately for me, you know, I hadn't done any biking. I hadn't been back in the water in 13 years. But I started doing a little bit of biking during the year of COVID just as a way of getting out uh, and getting some exercise. You know, we we couldn't play pickleball. You know, all I was doing is sitting on my computer working all day. And, you know, I, I, I was going stir crazy being, being in the house all day. So, you know, as soon as the weather broke that summer last year, I, I, I tried to get out a couple days a week, just recreationally. I'd go out on uh, a trail that I have that's close to my house where I typically would do all my running. And it was just great to be out in nature and, 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 you know, get, look at some of the optimism, let my mind wander of things I wanted to do. And, you know, I'd probably go out and bike for an hour and come, come back home. So unfortunately, the bike trails that were much busier than ever before, because everybody had the same idea, right? Bike sales were through the roof, bike parts were almost impossible to, to find. And because of COVID, all of the you know manufacturing facilities were closed down. And that came back to haunt me in a big way. And I'll, and I'll tell you what happened. But in, in any event, I, I got in a bad bicycle accident. And that was middle of the summer. I think it was uh, right around July 1st. I fractured my hip in two places, cracked my pelvis, cracked a uh, uh, bone in, in my arm. And so, you know, I was really beat up. And I, my best efforts of getting some exercise kind of backfired on me. 
And I was laid up in a, in, in a wheelchair for, for eight or nine weeks. But I, at least I got out and I, I got kind of exposed to, to, to biking again. And so when we, in October, we, we kind of uh, cemented the deal for the Pickleball Hall of Fame Museum being built in, at the Pickle Ranch. And we had the funding worked out so that we could build the building. But I had done a bunch of research on sports museums and, you know, the, the costs and, and to design it and, and the cost to, you know, purchase, you know, showcases and all the different video equipment. I mean, it, 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 it's an expensive deal. And so now my, my challenge was, well, great, we got a building, but, you know, what, what are we going to do with it? You know, we've, we got to we, we got to begin to at least have the plans and 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 and, you know, get all the mementos and, and all of the plaques and, and, and paddles and things that are back in Pickleball Central and have those shipped over to Texas. And as I was brainstorming a little bit about what could be done, I started thinking, well, you know, what if I seriously started training and did a, a cross-country bike tour? You know, I could, you know, get some publicity possibly for Pickleball. I could, you know, because I'm going through, you know, across the country, I could reach out to pickleball players. I could, you know, reach out to the media if they, if they, you know, thought it was noteworthy. And so that idea, along with a number of others that I thought about, seemed to be the most promising. The biggest stumbling block was, would I be able to do something like that? Because I hadn't been on a bike other, other than, you know, you know, maybe a dozen rides in spring and in early summer before I got injured. So I committed to, to the idea on Thanksgiving, but I didn't tell anybody in my family. And my, my, my thought process was that I would start training. And so I had my bike that I had put on a trainer in my house. And every day I started riding it, you know, because it was too cold being in Chicago. You know, we, we experienced a pretty tough winter. And I gave myself to J January 1st to, to see if I could develop a baseline uh, of fitness that would make this this trip possible. And after January 1st, I felt, you know, pretty comfortable that my body was responding, that I did train to a level and reached, you know, kind of the goals I had at that time without any injury. I knew I had another, you know, two months of, of training where I would up, you know, the, the amount of time and the number of miles I was putting in. So, you know, I, I, I made the announcement to the pickleball community and to, my, to, our, to our board first. And then I broke the news to my wife and, you know, I, I asked her, I said, look, I need us. I need your support. You know, we, we got a little RV. I need you to be, you know, riding with me. And she said, are you crazy? <laughs> so the, the hardest thing was convincing my wife to, to come along and, 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 and to share the journey with me. And, you know, I was reliant on her to, to, to support me. So that that's kind of the story behind it. And, you know, we, the plan was to start February 27th, which is my wife's birthday along the way. I, a, after the announcement, I had a bunch of people that called me friends, et cetera. And, and some people that had done, you know, long bike rides like that before. And, you know, they were, everybody had some advice to give me. And, you know, one uh, good friend of mine said, you know, Riff, you know, do you have a bike? I said, yeah, I've got a bike. And he said, well, what do you have? And I said, well, I've got, you know, this felt that I used for, for when I did the uh, Ironman. And he go, he started laughing. I go, what are you laughing about? It's a good bike. I see. And he said, yeah, it's a good bike, but it's a racing bike. He said, you can't use that bike to do what you want to do. And I didn't understand because I'm not, like I said, I'm not a cyclist. I'm not, I don't know all the equipment. You know, I, I know, I, I know how to train. I know how to work hard. 
uh, because I wasn't into the sport, you know, I don't know all the different types of bikes, and et cetera. And, you know, he told me, he said, look, you're going to be on terrible roads. You're going to be on gravel. You, you need to have an endurance bike or a gravel bike. I said, okay, fine. You know, tell me, you know, what I should go out and buy. So he gave me the names of a bunch of bikes. And then he started laughing and said, good luck. And I go, what are you laughing about? He says, well, in case you didn't know, all the bike shops, they have no inventory. You know, because of COVID, everybody went out and bought bikes and, and there's no parts. And boy, was he right, because it took me six weeks of hunting on the internet to finally get a bike. And I ordered it out of Ohio and it came at the end of January, I believe, finally to, to the house. And then, you know, you got to get fitted and, you know, you got to get used to a different bike because if you're not used to a different bike and you're spending seven hours on a bike all day, you're going to pay for it big time. So I got fitted properly. It took a couple of weeks for me to even get an appointment because a lot of the bike shops were closed again, you know, because of COVID and, and no inventory. So the plan was that I continued my training, but I didn't really have an opportunity to spend any time on this particular bike, nor did I have any time to, to, to you know, get outside. I was still doing all my, all my riding in, on a stationary bicycle in my house. So I was planning to leave to go to San Diego, where I started the trip 10 days early and, you know, get a bunch of biking in. Unfortunately, as my wife and I left, we left, it was eight below zero and like 30 inches of snow in Chicago. And uh, I had three different routes I was planning on taking based on, you know, how bad the roads were going to be. I started out on 80, uh, 80 ended up getting pretty bad as I got past Iowa. And then I shifted and went further south where I was hoping it was going to get warmer and uh, the roads to be clear, which it did. And I had no problems until I hit Kansas City. And within a half mile, just outside of Kansas City, there was like black ice. And the roads were, were full. And, and with, just within like, you know, a couple hundred yards, there were four accidents. And it was stop and go. And I'm looking in my rearview mirror. And I see a car that can't stop. And it barreled right into the back of my RV. So he, he hits me and rear ends me. He gets pulled over to the right and, and fortunately didn't hit any other cars as he ricocheted off me. And I get off at the next exit, call the police. He's nowhere to be found. I'm not saying that he intentionally took off, but because he, he pulled over and I couldn't pull over. It's not that easy to pull over an RV where, you know, it's longer. I never did get in touch with him or anything else. And it was still like, you know, maybe five degrees outside in Kansas City. The bike was all covered up with a bike cover. And I didn't even want to look at it because when I stopped at the exit, I went out and I saw no damage whatsoever to the RV. And the bike was hanging on the back of the RV, you know, on a bike stand. And I, I had guesstimated that, you know, the bike is the, what is what took all the, the brunt of, of, of the being struck by the car. And I knew there was nothing I could do about it right then and there. So I'd never even look. And two, it took me another two days to finally get to San Diego. And when I got to San Diego and, and got it under the cover, I realized that it was trashed. So I took it to a bike shop and that bike shop really saved my bacon because they, uh, it, it was a shop that was frequented quite often by, by riders that want to do the cross country trip that, that I was doing. And he had very good, you know, relationships and connections. He'd been, you know, in business for 20 plus years and he found the parts that I needed. And over the next week, he was able to get the parts, rebuild the bike. And the, the Sunday that I planned on leaving, I finally got the bike back on Friday. 
So I actually rode the bike for the very first time on Friday and Saturday. And then Sunday, you know, I started the trip. So a lot of the plans of trying to get in shape uh, and get some biking, you know, in San Diego, that kind of backfired. What did work out is that I was able to at least start the trip as planned because it was really touch and go there. I, I initially didn't know if I'd have a bike to ride. And fortunately, you know, like I said, he came through and, and I was able to, to, to start the journey. And as we know now, successfully finished the journey, you know, for 44 days later. So that is an absolutely crazy story in terms of just even getting to the point where you could start the ride. And, and, you know, we could really have a whole nother podcast on, you know, what happened during the ride, but I'm glad to hear it was successful. And actually, if people want to read more about what happened during the ride, they can look for the article in the May edition of the Pickleball Fire digital magazine to hear more about that story because it 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 had a lot of events going on too. So pretty crazy stuff, huh? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I can tell you that, you know, I averaged around 80 miles a day and, you know, every day, was it was an adventure it really was whether you know i was being chased by dogs throughout texas mississippi and louisiana you know close calls you know by drivers you know the, the beauty of of just going through the back roads of, of our country and seeing you know you know the, the the beauty of our land from from you know topographical uh standpoint the the friendliness of of you know people living in small towns and, and at times you know the 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 meanness of, of people as well you know so so you see all of america you see the good and the bad with people you see the beauty of our country and it it it, it truly was a a you know incredible journey. And, you know, my wife and I got closer as a result of it because she saw what I had to go through physically, emotionally. And, you know, I took a lot on out on her and she was incredible to be able to, you know, withstand it. I kept telling her ahead of time, I said, you know, I'm going to be hurting, I'm going to be in pain and I've got nobody to, to yell at and scream at. And, and, and you're going to hear me, you know, act like a jerk at times. And it's not directed at you. I just want you to know ahead of time. And, you know, she, she, she made all my meals. She took care of me. She, you know, she, she consoled me, and and you know, clearly it was a team effort. So it, it 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 was a great experience, and most importantly, you know, we we were well on our way to being to to earn, uh, you know getting the funds you know for the for the pickleball hall of fame and the interior of it. So I'm excited about that, and and hopeful that you know we're 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 going to continue to 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 get people to donate because you know I wanted to try to get you know a hundred thousand dollars. For, for, for at least to get us started, you know, you know, we've got an architect designer now and, you know, hopefully, you know, next week we're, we're actually going to start, you know, putting pencil to paper or maybe computer work, you know, strokes to get the design work. But, you know, at, to date, we've got $64,792 that have been donated to Rift Ride and, you know, a hundred percent of all that goes directly to the Pickleball Hall of Fame. So I'm, 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 you know, happy about the donations and how the Pickleball community has stepped up, you know, whether people, you know, sent in $10, $25, or, you know, I, I have, I have a couple of colleagues that, you know, gave, you know, thousands of dollars. So every little bit does count. And more than anything else, it's, it's the giving nature of our community because it's, it's, it's not for me. You know, it's for you guys. It, it, the pickleball community is the most passionate group of, of, you know, athletes that I've ever come across. And I've been involved in a lot of different sports. 
And, you know, they've stepped up and, and I think they'll continue to step up because it's their Hall of Fame. You know, it, 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 it's there to honor the great players and the great contributors of the game. But, you know, the people that really get the, the benefit are the people that learn about it and, and get to visit the, the Hall of Fame. And, and of course, you know, have the pleasure of meeting our, our, our you know, phenomenal inductees that are, that are enshrined there. Absolutely. And where can people go to donate? They can go directly to our website, which is simply pickleballhalloffame.com. And uh, there's a donate button and there's probably still the itinerary, you know, from Riff's Ride that's on there. And like I said, you know, any any amount is greatly appreciated and uh, it's uh, 100% tax deductible. So for those of you that are looking to get, you know, a deduction, you know, the, the you're, you're donating it to, to, to a cause that's important to all of you. I know it is. Now, we've already covered a tremendous amount of ground on the podcast today, but I did just want to touch base on one last thing. You are also in the process of organizing the World Pickleball Games, which are set for 2022, correct? Yeah, that's correct. We we have a competition committee that's made up of just, you know, the best of the best when it comes to putting on, you know, great tournaments. And the World Pickleball Games is going to be in May of, of 2022. It's going to be the very first true team competition where countries from around the world will go through their own selection process by their uh, governing body. And they will select, you know, anywhere between eight and 12 people that can represent their country in team competition. So our competition committee has been meeting weekly for the past um, six months. And we're extremely excited about the progress that we've made. And the event is going to be like nothing else in pickleball. And it's, it's going to truly be a, you know, once in a lifetime experience to, for those that are in a position to represent their country. And uh, I'm extremely excited about that. And uh, I know that it's going to, to take pickleball to that next level because, you know, people already love the sport, but to experience it on, on, on a team level where you're representing your country and the patriotism that that brings out, the uh, rivalries between countries. I mean, just think of some of the, you know, hotly contested international sports, whether it's in soccer you know, between any of the countries in, in England or, or, you know, Argentina, Brazil, or, you know, U.S. Canada in, in hockey, you know, at the Olympics or U.S. Russia, you know, there, there's so many just great moments in sports that are emblazoned in the memories of, you know, those of athletes that, that participate in any particular sport. And, you know, being on a world stage in a world-class facility is, is, is something that is, it's a once in a lifetime experience. So to, to, to be a participant obviously is, is the greatest honor to witness it, to, to be there, to, to see it live, to, to see it, you know, televised, that also, you know, brings it to, to, to so many people worldwide. And I, and I know that that will catapult the, the game of pickleball to, to another level entirely. So very, very excited about that opportunity. And we're hard at work to make sure that it's a first class, world class event, just as any other type of, you know, major international sports competition. I know I am definitely looking forward to it. And I have that marked on my calendar. I, I plan to be one of those spectators slash hopefully media people there covering the event. 
Oh, that's fantastic, Lynn. And, and, you know, want to thank you for your support for that and, and everything that you've done. You know, it's, it's, it's so important that as, as the sport continues to grow, the, the, the game itself kind of takes care of the growth from a participation standpoint. But from my perspective, in order for the sport to, to really reach unique heights and to get major sponsors, you know, like Discover Card, Hilton, American Airlines, the Mercedes-Benz, we need to have the, the general public aware of pickleball. And, and, you know, television and media through, you know, digital forms such as what you're providing really is, is so extremely important to get the message out to other players, but more importantly, to, to other people that are just casually, you know, listening to podcasts or, 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 or reading, you know, digital magazines that, that are out there. So, you know, you, you're providing a, a, an incredibly uh, important function to the pickleball community. And, and I hope that, you know, your listeners and those that, you know, haven't been, had an opportunity to listen to your podcast, that pickleball players will, you know, express what you're providing and, and you know, send them to your podcast. Because all of that about, you know, listening to some of the people that have contributed, whether it's, you know, players and with, coach, with, with tips, whether it's other, you know, contributors, it's vital. And it just gets the word out to, to more and more people. And, and that's all going to be just help the pickleball community and the growth of our game. Absolutely. And Riff, I really appreciate you being on today. And I will look forward to talking with you maybe later this year, more about the World Pickleball Championships and then everything else you've got going on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lynn. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes. 